Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm Elizabeth, and I'm a very grateful and enthusiastic member of this worldwide fellowship that we call Al-Anon and Palatine. <laughs> Hi. Before I get into my um, my share, I just am going to make the announcement in Spanish for anyone who needs the translation equipment. So if you took high school Spanish, this is your chance to figure out what I'm saying. <laughs> Buenas noches. Si hay alguna persona que habla español y necesita la traducción simultánea, si se pueden asomar, por favor, a Emilia y pueden recoger el equipo que necesitan. Gracias. And the interesting thing is, is that as we've all gone through this journey in recovery, we realize that no matter where we come from, no matter um, how old we are, no matter um, what brought us into the fellowship, our stories are pretty much all the same. The only thing that may change are the names of the people in the story. But our stories are pretty much the same, and the pain is a lot of the time the same. Um, And I always am very grateful that I, as an only child, uh, my family is in recovery. And my mom often calls us the three stooges. So I don't know who is who, which stooge I am. I like to be curly because I love curly hair, so I call that one. Uh, and my dad isn't here today with us because he's getting a little bit older, and I have an older-than-usual dad, and it's a little bit difficult for him to get around. He's not as mobile as he used to be. But we're bringing back home the, uh, on the phone again. And, and I'll tell you, I didn't bring my cell phone to the meeting last night. But I so regretted not having it with me because when they started singing on the phone again, I was going to dial home, phone home, put it on speaker, and have him listen, on, listen in. And why? Because... Uh, we're very service-oriented, and when my parents get in the car and do a lot of their service, my dad says, on the road again. <laughs> and now that it's not on the road again, when we're home and the phone rings, it's on the phone again, because it's when's the district meeting, when's this meeting, when's that meeting. So he will get a kick out of that. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you uh, for your Connecticut hospitality, for inviting me. I truly feel it is an honor to, to be your speaker this evening, um, and it's extremely special for me being an old Alateen that this year we celebrate Alateen's 50th birthday. So um, to all of the Alateens here, I love you in a very special way. I don't know you, but I know you, and Alateen always has a very special place in my heart, um, and I will always be an Alateen until the end of my life. So keep coming. It doesn't, the miracle doesn't end when we leave Alateen. That's when the next miracle begins, and that's when we make our transition into Al-Anon. So keep coming. Uh, I am from New York. I'll tell you my, my New York story. Born in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> 
raised in Manhattan, <laughs> lived in Queens, <laughs> two more boroughs to go, <laughs> and lived in New York, recently relocated to New Jersey, so I'm almost tri-state area, I have Connecticut to go, <laughs> one more state to, to relocate to. I want to thank the committee, um, and I'd like to thank Linda for being such a beautiful hostess and her husband, Ted. Everyone has been so welcoming and so loving. And I see Janice, and I think that's me next year, I mean this year, in August at our discovery convention. So every time I see you here, I think, oh, that's coming up. Um, but thank you for all your love and your support and for the food basket and, and just for the miracle of being here and keeping these doors open. You know, you should feel very proud, Connecticut, to have over 800 people. This room is full of more than 800 miracles that we are all here. And right now, our fellowship is going through declining membership. And so many area conventions in this country have lost their attendance by half. So the fact that you are still at 800 and growing and breaking that barrier, I say, go Connecticut, stay strong, and <laughs> And I'll tell you, I'm a proud New Yorker, but I'm proud because Connecticut is in the Northeast. <laughs> and I'm a no yeah, the state to line in. It's the tri-state area, so it's even more important. Uh, your team, Mirror of Miracles. I think the greatest miracle is that I'm actually here standing before you tonight. The miracle that I am alive. The miracle that my mother is alive. The miracle that my father is alive. Because with this disease, you don't know what can happen, as we know, what's next, or where we're going, or where we're coming from. So the miracle is just the day-to-day. And I always think back to when I started in Alateen, the spiritual awakening that I had was the day that I carried the message in my high school. And I went to Cathedral High School in Manhattan, and uh, we are a school of, at that time, a total of 1,200 girls, 400 per class. And it was junior year that I decided to carry the message into the school because I had started Alateen. And when I came into the program, I wanted the world to know about this program. I mean, it was crazy. It was insane. I would tell everybody, anybody who was willing to listen, and even those who were not willing to listen, I had to tell them, you're feeling sad because you probably are living with someone who's drinking too much. <laughs> and of course they would agree and say, no, that's not it. So <laughs> uh, when I carried the message to my classmates, I had that spiritual awakening because to me, throughout my childhood, I would always pray to God that my parents would stop fighting, that there would be a change, and I always thought that my prayers were not, not heard, but that they fell on deaf ears. And I grew up in a Catholic home. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. 
And my prayers were not prayers. They were just rampant words. They were insane sentences. And every night my prayer went like this. With folded hands and nervous anxiety, I would say, please God, don't let my parents fight. And it, now that they're not fighting, thank you for not letting them fight, and please don't let them start fighting later. And if they were fighting, which was just about every night, please don't make them stop fighting. And when I carried the message in that school, I realized that my higher power, our higher power, had been with us all of those years that I thought he wasn't with us. And that was the greatest experience that I could have because it was the miracle that after so many years of feeling hopeless, helpless, and lost, it was higher power who guided us into this fellowship. And from there, other miracles started to happen. When I look back to all of the fighting and all of the insanity, um, my mom has diabetes, and because of the fighting and because of trying to control him, she wouldn't take care of herself and that affected her physically with the diabetes. And I think back, how many miracles happened before the program that even though she had things happen with her blood sugar, God took care of her. God took care of me in the small way that I was able to take care of her. And God actually helped my father in his own way to help her in the way that he could. So today, I feel... I am so protected because if we went through all of that before the fellowship and before program, today I know that God, God is no longer up in the 33,000 feet above me. He is next to me, in front of me, behind me. He's in all of you. And that is a beautiful thing. I know that I am no longer alone. And God is my friend. God is my, my buddy. I have fun, you know, I make jokes with him. Sometimes I say, you know, God, when you get something stuck in your head, there's no convincing you otherwise. You're stuck. You know, that's it. You get something and there's just no changing your mind, like, you know. And there are times that I, someone said it earlier, I think Ron shared today, who was an amazing speaker, and I'd like to thank all of the speakers this weekend because you've inspired me. And I, would, I get frustrated, and even today I get frustrated with God. You know, it, it's not fast enough. It's not, you know, what I want, how I want. But I always go back to God is giving me what he knows that I need, not what I want. And, and that's what keeps me grounded. Uh, all throughout the disease, you know, growing up as an only child, uh, I had a lot of confusion. My feeling toward my father was, I hate him but I love him. And when we were out in the outside world and people would make fun of my dad, I was right there to be his bodyguard because how dare you make fun of him? That's my dad. I'm the only one allowed to make fun of him. (laughs) (laughs) And growing up, I had that confusion with him because... What I came to realize through my Alateen sponsor is that what I hated was the disease and what the disease did to him, and it was the drinking and how he transformed into this person that became so alienable for me and so distant and someone that I didn't know, and, and he became this King Kong figure to me. 
Now you have to picture this. My background is, my family is from Argentina, Italy, and Spain. It sounds exotic, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually very common in Argentina to come from Italy. Like 90% of the immigrant, uh, immigrants in the ancestry is Italian because they fled the war and migrated to Argentina and South America, which was empty land. Then you have a trickle that's German-Jewish and a trickle that's Spaniard. So we have a trickle on my mother's paternal side that's from Spain, which is the pickle bone. And then the rest of the family, her maternal side, and my father's, both mom and dad, all come from Sicily, which is like the worst tempered part of Italy that you can imagine. <laughs> so it gets worse. So you have this petite, cute, and so sweet <laughs> woman who's like five feet with a big mouth. <laughs> and then there's my dad, who's six feet and strong, who's really a little boy inside. <laughs> and then every time they had the fight, my mother had no problem and was fearless in going after him, telling him what he needed to hear or what he didn't want to hear. And it now the gift and the miracle is that today it's funny. Today I can appreciate the humor and we can all look back and say, God, we were crazy. We're still crazy. But in the moment, it wasn't funny. In the moment, it was devastating. In the moment, it was, I need to get out of here. And that's actually how I grew up. I couldn't wait to turn 18. My thinking, thinking was, when I turn 18, I will have a magic wand that will go over my head. I hope the Alateens are listening. When I thought I would turn 18, I thought a magical wand would go ping over my head and all of my problems would disappear because I thought becoming an adult was the entry to freedom. I know what I'm doing. I have, as the third concept, this right of decision. But thank God I was still in fellowship because I realized that 18 somehow seems to be the magical official entry to Problemville. That's when they all really start. So I was grateful that I was already here. How my parents found recovery was um, all throughout. My mom thought that my dad was crazy. And so she tried everything out there. She went to psychiatrists, she went to psychologists, she went to all different types of religious leaders. Um, she would make deals with God. She would light the candles in all of the churches in the neighborhood downtown. 14th Street was covered. The priests loved her because they knew she was going to, you know, put a dollar or two or whatever into the, into the candles. And, um, and then one day, um, all this time she had kept threatening, I'm leaving you, I'm leaving you, this is it, I've had enough. And inside, I always wanted that. Like, my sick fantasy was, yeah, let's leave. Because I had watched so much TV, and as a teenager, I wanted that struggle. And I would tell my mother, let's leave. And, and I romanticized it by, I'll get three jobs, and, and, and we'll struggle, and, and we'll live in a basement, or, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to survive, but let's just do it, let's just go. 
And, and I guess my mother was smarter. Even though she didn't have Al-Anon, she would always calculate <laughs> and figure out, you know, how we would manage. And she realized it probably wouldn't be the best thing. And I guess a little bit of fear and the pressure of society and the pressure of her upbringing that the family stays together and, and going to church and things, you know, that had an impact and the values and wanting to stay together. And truthfully, I'm grateful that, you know, I appreciate the sacrifice because I know it isn't easy. But you know what? They're still married. And I think, I don't know, but I think the longer they're together, I think the harder it is to be apart. <laughs> because it's now, I'm 36, and they've been together 38 years. So that, that's an achievement. And, and it's not easy to be together. But I'll tell you, when my mom travels for service, my father is happy because he gets to watch TV 24-7. <laughs> I'm surprised the remote isn't stuck to his finger when I, when I you know, go into the, into the bedroom to check on him. And, um, and then the minute, and then he messes her, you know, your mother hasn't called, your mother hasn't called, your mother hasn't called. Then the minute that Sunday comes and she walks in through the door, he can't wait to start the first fight. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's love. <laughs> and I go, that's how he shows his love, you know? That's how it goes. Um, so 1986, my mom had had it. And she decided, this was in the summer, she had decided that she was going to go to one last social worker at St. Vincent's Hospital in Manhattan, and that hopefully this was it. The person that she had the appointment, uh, the social worker, called out sick that day. So the replacement happened to be a social worker, Spanish-speaking social worker, who is also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So as soon as my mother started, and as we know that it happens to us today when we hear someone go, da, 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 da. the antennas were, you know, doo, 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 alcoholism. And that is how we were introduced into the fellowship. And this counselor was amazing because she said, this is for you about Al-Anon, this is for you about AA, and this is for your daughter about Palatine. And they came home, told me about it, but I didn't want to hear it. I didn't think I needed Alateen. I was too young and too perfect and waiting to turn 18. I figured he has the drinking problem, even though, you know, and my dad had very good tolerance. I think it was that Italian stock of his because my dad would sneak around and drink, but you really wouldn't notice it. And he would be more of a social drinker. But the problem was there. And inside I knew that there was a problem. And the fighting was there, because they were fighting for everything and for nothing. And they went to their first meeting, which was on the Lower East Side, the first Spanish-speaking uh, group, AA and Al-Anon, um, called Grupo Central, or Central Group. And they came home, and my mom said, you want me to tell you how it went? And I had my attitude. Now, you see, in school, I was a teacher's pet, so all those nuns loved me, and I was a good student. But at home, I was the little bully that I couldn't be at school. So I had all of the attitudes at home. And when my mother came home and said, you want to hear about our team? I said, no. 
and I closed the door, but I had that attitude, and I raised the volume on the stereo and what have you. But I was curious. I wanted to know what was going on. So a little bit later, I went, I went to see her, and she gave me the pamphlet, and I think she gave me the comic book, you know, about what happens to Joe. Does he go to Alistair or he doesn't? And then I was intrigued because I wanted to know what happened to Joe. <laughs> because he still needed Alistair, and he really needed to go. <laughs> so I asked her, I said, how was it? And she said, it was good. It had coffee and cookies, which was a big attraction for her. And she loved that. She goes, they, you know, they provided coffee and cookies. And the AA room was just like two rooms over, so that was good too because she said, I could see if your father was going. <laughs> Keep an eye on him. And, and she says, and I said, so what did they tell you? What did they say? And she says, well, this and that and that. And she goes, I said, how long do you have to go? And she said, well, they told me for the rest of my life. <laughs> so at 15 and a half, I mean, he's 18 years old when you're 15. And I'm, I looked at her and I said, for the rest of your life? I said, they're crazy. So the teacher's head in me comes out and I say, you know what, Ma? I'll go with you to a few meetings. I'll take really good notes. We'll figure it out together. I'll help you, you know, with the Spanish. and the, Although it was in Spanish, but still, you know, I, I knew that she needed help. So... <laughs> Just an adult child, right? <laughs> so I, I said, we'll go, and that's it. Why are we going to go for the rest of our lives? Let them stay there. <laughs> well, a day at a time, it is, and I'll tell you, it's 21 or 22, 21 for you, and this April 7th, I celebrate 20 years of being here. <laughs> And you know something? It is for the rest of my life because I have this disease inside of me. I don't drink. I don't smoke, but I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> uh, I need this program. I need my meetings. I need my sponsor. I need my service sponsor. I need service. I need, um, I need all of those miracles because I'm still sick. I'm still affected. And when I don't have these things in my life and I don't have this discipline because I have to be disciplined with these things in my life. If I don't have them, it's like a railroad car. It's like a, a, a train. I will derail. And, and that's just what I need to keep in my mind, that I need to keep coming back. And, and I like that idea because now when I see the old timers like Pat was 21, that's something that I look forward to. You know, I was joking with Linda when, when Janice had the, the person with the least number of years at the table. I said, well, this is the time that we all want to have the less amount of time because we want the raffle. But it is something to aspire to. Just because it's, it's progress, not perfection. But it is becoming that person that you really want to be. And, and I feel good. You know, life isn't perfect because all three of us are in programs. No, we're still crazy. We're still impulsive. We're still adult children because I think the three of us are, are adult children. Um, but, but we're a work in progress and, and we're a miracle that just shines each day a little bit better. And some days we don't shine so much, but, 
but we're here. And that, to me, is what keeps me coming back, because I know I need you. And, and the beauty of this program is that you are everywhere. You are here. Um, the miracle of Al-Anon is that we are in 115 countries and growing. We have our literature translated in over 35 languages and possibly growing, and that is a miracle. It's a miracle to me that this fellowship is not only for you and for me, but it is for men. It is for those children. It's for young people, for Alateens. It's for African Americans. It's for people of color, for Native Americans, for people who have, right now, people doing service in the military, families that are have children in Iraq, Al-Anon is there. Al-Anon is going to China. And Al-Anon is for all of us that are affected by someone's drinking. That's the only requirement that we have. No other organization gives you this. And we are a miracle. We are a miracle for everyone who, who needs this help and hope that we can provide. And that's why I keep coming, because I need to get this miracle and re-energize every time through your experience, your strength, and your hope. Uh, you know, as an Alateen, in our beginnings, I was very lucky that a lot of the women from my mother's home group uh, took us to the Tiny Life Building in Manhattan to go to Lois's lunch. Now, this was something that was done in the 80s, and I'm not sure when it stopped. Well, I think it stopped when Lois passed away. But I have to tell you, Lois loved the Alateens. And when Bob, five years after Al-Anon got started, Bob from California mentioned that there was a need for the teens to come together, um, Lois embraced it, and Lois was very open about it. And it's always been said in the history that Anne and Lois loved Alateens a lot. And I was very lucky, I guess. Now I look back on it and I say, what a miracle it was. Because I was in Eskina at the time. They often tell me that I meet with people who knew how she loved today so that I could meet Lois because they knew how much she loved saying hello to the Alateen. And that's a beautiful miracle and a beautiful memory that I carry because I, I have so much gratitude for, for our founders. Sometimes I'm amazed at the genius of Dr. Bob and Bill and Anne and Lois, that for that time and age, they left this legacy that will continue from one generation to the other as a begging elder. And as Linda said, we are so privileged to have this gift, privilege, to have this gift of recovery, that the only thing that we can do with it really is to just give it away, give it away freely for all those new people. And the, and the four newcomers that were here today, welcome. Keep coming. And when you don't want to go to a meeting, that's when you most have to force yourself to go to the meeting. Because those moments that you don't want to go is when we need to go. And in the Spanish group, the joke is, hope with the novela is on. And it's so good today. That's the joke in the Spanish group. That the novela, the soap opera, is so good because of the plot. But we've, we've lived our own novellas and our own drama dramas. What's better so far than our own life? Go to a meeting and you're going to hear some good stories. <laughs> oh. The other miracle that has happened in my life, I think, is 
my sponsors. They've been amazing, strong people. And I have to say that my personal sponsor is, is one of those women who had the old Al-Anon that she was able to give me that little bit of tough love because the truth is, you know, as an adult child, I don't need to be cradled. I like it, but but I need to have that that somewhat of what we call the tough love in Al-Anon or I don't know if tough love is the right way to say it, but that guidance, that that um, discipline, that um, this is what's going to help you become a better person, and, and through the steps you can do that. And when it came time um, to do my fourth step in recovery, um, it was an experience for me. And I, I want to thank um, Terry and Wayne because I was asking them for for some assistance, and they both provided. So you're so great because ask once and get twice. So thank you. Um, and what I was asking for was <laughs> um, because I wanted to share with you about my fourth step. And when I had to do my fourth step, I came to realize that I looked at my background and I felt a lot of shame as to where I came from. And I had to do some research and see, you know, what that background was. Um, because I was a little bit embarrassed that we spoke in Spanish in the outside world. I didn't know how to deal with that having two cultures in my life. Um, and I was in college time before I of my fourth step. And I was studying the history of New York City. And when I studied the history of New York City, I realized that our city was founded by so many immigrants who came over from Europe. And that the feeling that I had of shame as I was going through my fourth step, feeling shame of my background, feeling shame of the disease of alcoholism, feeling embarrassed when my dad would do his thing outside and, or, or when we used to have big fights in restaurants and what have you, um, all of that just came to me, you know, it had surfaced. And I realized the shame that I felt with my culture was the same shame that immigrants felt coming from Ireland or coming from Holland or coming from uh, from Italy, the pressure they had to assimilate. And it was the same pressure that my parents felt here to assimilate. But it was through that through that discovery that I that I realized the richness of my culture, the beauty of my culture, and how blessed I am that my father pushed me to learn Spanish, to read Spanish, to speak Spanish, to maintain our traditions and our culture at home. Today, I find it is the greatest miracle, the greatest gift, because by embracing my culture, I've been able to embrace your culture, other people's cultures. And I realize I have two cultures. So I'm, I'm really doubly blessed because I have, I was born here, but I also have my other culture. And in that discovery, you know, we, we, we've traveled to Argentina quite, Argentina quite a bit because of my grandparents were not doing well. And we, all of them, like my mom's parents, we them within 11 months of each other. So the past, so the past couple of years, years have been tough. And my grandparents, my grandparents were not your normal, sweet, loving, innocent-looking, <laughs> grandparents 
my grandmother was, is, she looks like my father's twin, and I always say, thank God I don't have their nose. <laughs> <laughs> my father knows already, so he forgives me. He's my little brother, really. Uh, but my grandmother was very strong, Italian, dominant, generale. My grandfather, on the other hand, petite, soft-spoken, spoken, always singing a tune, whistling a tune, Spaniard's little little man, nice sense of humor, and everything was a joke. So you can imagine their dynamic. <laughs> uh, so every time there was a fight, my there was things would fl- fl- fly and what have and what have you, and some tempers would would flare. But there was a lot of insanity too, because there was drinking and there there was mixing of some um, alcohol and pills with my grandmother. And it was just a lot of insanity. So every trip to Argentina within the past few years was actually a stomach ache, you know, the, and it was 12-hour flight and then a six-hour bus ride because they lived on a resort, on a beach resort in, um, in the outskirts of, um, of the capital. So it was pleasant. But what had all of these trips was that I realized trips was that I realized how Mother grew up, which was such a gift for, for me, because it helped me understand what she went through, and it made me grateful, more grateful, for both for both of them, because I say, they've given me so much with the little that they received from their families and their parents. And I don't blame grandparents or anything, because then I looked at my grandparents, and I, and I thought about how their childhood, and thought, how did my grandmother grow up? How did my grandfather grow up? And they grew up with even less communication, even less love, no hugs, no interaction. So I had an appreciation for the people that they were and why they were that way. But that's because of program that I was able to see that. And in these journeys to Argentina, I realized that even though I was not born there, even though I was not raised there, I was so much like them. The way that I walk, the way that I talk, the way that I carry myself. And then I started feeling proud. Because Argentinians are known to be a little bit proud. <laughs> and I realized that it's just something inherent. I don't mean to be that way, but it's just it's a cultural thing. And I was able to embrace all the beauty of the culture. And the not so beautiful things too, the things that I would like to change, like I think, I think the country could use a slogan on humility. <laughs> but that's how the culture is. Um, but I was able to embrace that we have tango and we have great food and we have a great sense of humor and and that we're a decent group of people. So all of this journey for me was all of this miracle. And I'm in a good it was a good thing for me to be able to embrace this culture in my life. Because through service, I've met people from different parts of the world. And through service, we actually, my mom has always um, been such a power of example to me in service. Because service was the salvation. It was the way to be free. It was the way to stay alive in this disease. And service gave me the miracle of... Getting to know me, getting to know all about me. Oh, wow, I'm impressed. You see what service can do? <laughs> um, it gave me that miracle to, to be able to look in here, to look into this mirror, and, and see 
And now I have two mirrors. <laughs> so I'm like a car now. I've got the two mirrors. <laughs> but I was able to see who I am, what I'm capable of, what are the gifts that I have, and that was through service work. You know, I would hear my mother say, the fourth step, in service you find your fourth step. And I didn't understand that, but it's so true. Because at a business meeting, my adult child character defect would come out. Well, this should, this, this should be here. The glass of water should be here. And then the other person would say, no, the glass of water should be on this side of the podium. And as adult children, or just as part of this disease, all of those defects come out. Today I realize that whatever works for the most is where the glass of water should be. I've learned in service that it's not about New York South. It's not about my group. It's not about my area. It's about what works the best for this fellowship that's in 115 countries that includes Alateen, that is Alateen. That is what my focus has been. That is the gift that service has given me. Service has allowed me to travel, to get away from my two-by-two radius. I have to tell you, growing up in Manhattan, I was very narrow-minded because I thought that Manhattan was the end-all, be-all. And when we moved to Queens, I was like, oh, my God, there's a dry cleaner here. <laughs> there's a pharmacy here. There's a hardware store. There's a supermarket. Because in my mind, I thought everybody <laughs> went to Manhattan to get everything. But with moving to Queens, I realized, oh, there are other neighborhoods. <laughs> People do get around. People do have another life. And I think in, in our city, in the city, we have a joke that most people don't leave Manhattan, so we kind of forget about the other boroughs. But, but they are. they're there, and they're beautiful. And, and service has helped me visit these boroughs. It's helped me go to Brooklyn, where I was born. And it helped me go back to the building where I was born and see the neighborhood where, I, where, where we lived for five years. And, and it's taken me, service has also taken me to places that I wouldn't think of. For instance, we've gone to not so safe places. I've carried the message in schools where metal detectors were, were installed because the kids are carrying guns. But I went in there and I carried the message of hope and I wasn't afraid, a little afraid, but I wasn't that, I wasn't that afraid because I knew that higher power was with me. And you know something? Even though we were different, the pain is the same. And when those kids heard my story, they related. And that's what brought us together, that we needed, we needed the same kind of help. And that's what service has done. It's taking me to these different places. It's taking me to other states across the country, north, south, east, west. And in each state, don't we all have our own culture? our own way of doing things, and that is the miracle that I can see, well, this is how we do it in New York, but this is how they do it in Connecticut. And by the way, I'm taking back a couple of the ideas for the, from the convention to our convention committee, because I like those ideas that you had with the, the raffles where you have the cans by raffle. So that's something I'm taking back, and that's the growth, that it's not just how this is how we've always done it, this is how we're going to do it. No, it's how we can grow. And I have to say, last night's performance was amazing. Everybody did such a great job.
and I have to be honest and say, I thought, if I ever see the people in southern New York do this, it will be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and I could just think of some of the people, and I started laughing in my mind. But the love that came through yesterday, the attention to detail in the costumes, you guys knew the words, even though, you know, you say you don't, you didn't, but you knew the lyrics, you did it a cappella, you did it, with, you know, struggling with the sound system, the love of service, the love to this fellowship came through, and that's the inspiring keep coming back, because it was so beautiful to see. And um, part of my service um Service has been the foundation to this fellowship, I mean, to this, to my journey in recovery. And when you look at our triangle, you see that there's the base. The base is the 12 steps of recovery. The other two sides of the triangle are the 12 traditions, which is unity, and the 12 concepts, which is service. And the way I look at it is, if I don't have recovery, which is the base, then I cannot have unity with me or with my group or with you. And if I don't have recovery and I don't have unity, I can never give service and give you because what will I give you? What will I give the newcomer who comes through that door? I am not a miracle to give to that new person who comes through. And service gave me that. Um, my very first service was in Alateen. Even though I didn't want to go to Alateen, I ended up going to Alateen, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me, because as an only child, those Alateens gave me back my childhood. My Alateen sponsors helped me to become real, and, and not that mini grown-up that I was, because being an only child, I grew up so much faster. I didn't know how to play, I didn't know how to have fun, because I didn't. But in Alateen, I was able to recover and regain all of that. And, you know, being a teacher's pet and being in school all those years, I was teased a lot. And I was tormented. You know, the kids would make fun of me. They would pass notes. They would push me down the stairs. They would push me up the stairs. They would tug on my, on my cardigan. And it wasn't fun. So I was very scared to go to Alateen because I thought it was going to be the same thing all over again. But do you want to know something? My first Alateen meeting was at Norman. Um, Martin Luther King High School at an AA charity with Al-Anon participation and Al-Anon participation. And as soon as I walked through the door, all eyes on me because they knew I was a new kid. They knew I was, I was a newcomer. And I sat down. They asked me if I was new. I said yes. They gave me the welcome. And my worst fears never came through. No one laughed at me. No one made fun of me. No one passed notes about me. Instead, they welcomed me. The chairperson of the meeting said she's coming and would someone like to give Elizabeth the welcome. And this little boy did. And I was amazed because I said, oh, my God, he's younger than me. And he's telling me what I need to do. He's telling me his story about his father and how he felt. And when the meeting was about to close, they said, would you like to share? And I was scared. I had panic. I wanted so much to get it all out, to say what I had, to, to let it, to be expressed, to, to say what I was feeling, to have all of that pain come through. But the fear held me back. I was so afraid 
that I would just start talking and end in tears. So I didn't have the courage yet. So I just said, no, I'll pass. But I knew it was the right place for me. I knew I felt safe because I knew that they didn't know me, but I knew they understood me because they were children of alcoholics and they knew how I was feeling. And the love that I got there, that first meeting, I still remember it as if it was today, and it'll be 20 years that that happened. The miracle is when the meeting ended and we were outside in the hallway, the chairperson who had given me the welcome approached me and said, Liz, you don't remember me, do you? And I'm looking every which way, and I'm thinking, is there another Liz here? Because I didn't know who she was. I just met her now in Alateen. And she says, we were in high school together. And she says, I was your Chris Kringle in sophomore year. But because of the family disease, my parents had to take me out of school so my dad could go into rehab, and that's why you never saw me again in homeroom. And as soon as she said that, I knew exactly who she was, and I couldn't believe it. So as an amends for that Chris Kringle, she gave me gum. <laughs> but the, the miracle is a city of 8 million people, a high school of 1,200 girls, and who welcomes me to my very first Alateen meeting but this girl. And my senior year, I started an Alateen group in that school and put in the call to New York Intergroup for Volunteers. And guess who showed up to be one of the sponsors of the meeting? It was this girl. And she stayed um, sponsoring for about uh, over a year. And then the group fell apart. I came back my freshman year of college to help with the group. But after that, you know, um, I rotated out two years as an Alateen sponsor. And, and then I haven't seen her since then. But I always mention her. I always think of her. I always thank her for giving me that welcome and for that beautiful connection that we were able to see each other. And this weekend, I've reconnected with a lot of older, old Alateens and people, Alateen sponsors that we met in Virginia Beach, like Fred and Doug and, and so many other people, Faith from Rhode Island. And the beauty is, is that, just like Lindsay shared, and you did such an amazing job, because it's not easy being a teenager and being up there, but like Lindsay said, I know that if I call any one of them, or any one of you, you'll be there to reach out and give me that hand. And that is beautiful because you can't find that anywhere else. Um, I have to tell you, I lived in 9-11, and speaking of miracles, this fellowship, I believe this program, all of you, saved my life on 9-11. I happened to be working downtown on Wall and Water at the time, and it's and I went to vote early in the morning, and as I was on my way into work, everything started on all of the events started unfolding. And on the subway ride in, I would hear things. People were saying things were happening, different reports, different scenarios. And being a typical New Yorker, I didn't want to get caught up in the town crier because in New York we're all a little dramatic and I didn't know what to believe or what have you. So I just kind of let it go and said a prayer and I said, well, God, just, you know, help us all along and whatever it is, it is. But the closer I got to downtown, the more I could tell that something was, was not right. 
And as I was getting off the subway, it, it seemed like reverse rush hour because everybody was just heading home. And I thought, this is odd. But my thing was, I need to show up to work because, you know, that, that's where I'm heading. But as soon as I got to the street level, it was mayhem. And I always say that, you know, compared to what other people went through, um, I was lucky. I mean, what I went through was enough for me. Um, I thought that I was going to die that day. I didn't think I would make it. But I always say, you know, compared to what other people went through, I didn't have it that bad. But it was what I had to go through. So when I got to the street level, everybody was running. And people kept turning back and looking. And what I thought was, Allen on 101, to stay focused, stay calm, and run as fast as you can. <laughs> now, the good thing is that it was a Tuesday night. And Tuesday night, I went to my Al-Anon meeting where I happened to make my transition from Alateen to Al-Anon. And Frank on Friday night was saying that he's been making, he's been bringing milk to that meeting for 20 years. Well, as a side note, they were so eager and so loving for me to make my transition into this meeting that for me to make up my mind right away, the first meeting I went to, they said, okay, Liz, you can be the refreshments coordinator, which for us refreshments means make the coffee. So my coffee was horrible. And they drank it for three months. But looking back, thank God they're not drinking it for 20 years. <laughs> so being that it was a Tuesday, and I had to walk so much from the subway station to our meeting up on, on the Upper East Side, I had my class on that day instead of the heels trying to look cute. Luckily, I had the class. So I thought, thank God I have class on. But I kept thinking Al-Anon. I kept thinking, stay focused. Stay calm, because if you don't stay calm, you're not going to be clear-minded. And at that moment of crisis, I needed clarity. I needed to stay focused and stay clear. And it's what worked for me. I kept running down Wall Street, heading towards the border, and it never occurred to me, mind you, I'm on my way to work, and I'm looking for shelter, and I'm about to go into this one building, and I see everybody exiting, so I'm like, not a good idea, I'm not going to go in there. So I'm like, I need to go into a safe haven. Never occurs to me to go into my own building. But now I know that that was my higher power protecting me because in my building where I worked, people were stranded there almost all day. And all of the windows were covered in soot and in, um, and in dirt. So I know that that would have been more devastating for me to feel that I, was, I had no way, nowhere to go. And I just asked God to guide me. And I thought, oh, I'll go to the seaport. But when I got to the corner of Water Street and I looked to the left to go to the seaport, that was literally a wall of smoke. It was just a wall that you just could not see past that. So I looked ahead and all that was left was the water. And I saw people running towards the ferry boat. And I had no idea where I was going. But all I knew was if the ferry goes to Brooklyn, I have my mother's friend from the home group that I can call. If I go to Staten Island, I know people in the program who live in Staten Island. And if the ferry goes to New Jersey, which it ended up going into New Jersey, I have the girls from my home, my Allen on Adult Children group, who live in New Jersey. So no matter where that ferry took me, I knew I had someone like you to meet me on the other end. And that's what kept me going. It was a horrible 
horrible day. I could not get a hold of anybody by phone. I couldn't reach my mother. But but it was faith, and it was you that carried me through. It was these principles. It was that triangle. It was this legacy. It was that faith. It was those two sides of the triangle. It was that miracle. It was God who guided me. And, you know, I have to say, that Saturday, I was invited to a group on Long Island to speak, and I kept thinking, God, you cannot take me now because I have to go to that, that anniversary on Saturday night. <laughs> and you know that when we say yes to service, we have to show up. <laughs> so I was like, this is not a good time, God, to take me away. But, um, but I really did think, and as I was running, I kept thinking, I'm too young. I have too much to do still. I have too much to give away. And, um, and I guess God heard me because things, things worked out well. A year later on 9-11, though, I did find out that one of the girls from my class um, from school um, did, did die in, in, um, on 9-11. So, um, you know, I've been very active with my high school. Um, because of the service that I've done here, I've been very active in my community. I'm very active in my high school. I'm very active in my college, which is NYU. Um, I get involved in a lot of organizations. And that's one of the greatest gifts that I have found is that I'm not afraid to join. I'm not afraid to, to do these things by myself. And, and that's because you've taught me that I'm not by myself. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, the service, you know, my mom always jokes and she says, the first service that you ever did was before I was in program. And at the time... Um, you know, she had three months in program, and she was already going to the New York Intergroup as a GR, and because it was her salvation, and and she needed that service. Um, and soon after that, she realized that there was a need for a Spanish intergroup, so she did that. And we didn't have we didn't have an office. It was just um, they met in the parks. They met at um, you know they just met wherever they could. And one of the things that I would do was count the literature that that we would that they would receive, you know, as an LDC of the Literature Distribution Center. I would count all of the literature because being an adult child, I didn't trust that World Service Office was sending a thousand pamphlets. <laughs> so I would tell my mom, let me count them to make sure because you paid for a thousand pamphlets or whatever it was. So that was my entry into service without really, really knowing it. But you see, the control was there. It doesn't matter the age. The control was there. Um, and so from there, that, that service bug grew. Because from Spanish intergroup, um, I moved on to, um, well, I wasn't, my very first service was on the Allocene Intent Committee, where we reviewed literature and pieces for Allocines all over the world, and that was a beautiful thing. And from there, we went to the area, and because my and you know my mom learned English. She always knew English, but she perfected it, <laughs> or she knows it, you know, better today. And it's because of service. It's because of going to the area and to the assemblies. Even though I know you don't understand it, but I understand everything she says. <laughs> but I admire her because it's not easy sometimes. Thank you. I got the five-minute note. <laughs> You see, when I first came in, I couldn't talk, now you can't shut me up. Um, but service has been a great, thank you, it's been a great road for me, um, and I just love everything that I've done. I thank my area for entrusting me with all of the, the things that they've allowed me to do, because, you know, I think it is a miracle that as a young person, I keep coming back. 
Um, but I am grateful to them because they didn't see my age. They saw the principles of my program at work. And for that, I'm grateful to have served them as an area chair and to have served, served them with Alateen on the convention and as area Alateen coordinator. And then um, a very delegate, which is a very special service. And my mom and I had, you know, the, the special privilege to serve back-to-back as, as delegates for our area, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I always say we lived in this disease together, and today we are in recovery together. And it is such a great gift to have her and to have my dad and, and all the support that they've given me. And I just want to thank you all for everything. And, you know, dogs always are such a beautiful sign to me. And um, with all that we've gone through these past couple of years, you know, with my grandparents and, and so many things, I always, when I'm thinking of, you know, just getting through things moment by moment, higher power will put a dog in my path, and I take that as his sign of fortitude, his sign that everything will be okay. And what a gift that we heard Ron today who brought his dog. So I took that as a sign that God is with us and that is the miracle and everything will be okay. And to close, and thank you for listening to me, thank you for listening to my story, um, I want to read to you, since it's Alateen's birthday, from the Alateen of Day at a Time, October 24th, the things to think about. And it's in the eye, but because this is a we program, and because we're all miracles, I will read it with the we. What do we like about ourselves? When we stop and take a look, <laughs> we realize that we're full of good stuff. A popular saying tells it like it is. We're special because God doesn't make junk. Thank you for having me. Have a great weekend. <laughs>